Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Indiana Jones edition. Today, we're ranking, friends. What a way to end the year. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man donning his cap, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hi, Tom. Welcome. <laughs> You've been wanting to put that. You must have. You must have been really chomping at the bit to get that. It's the perfect impersonation in. It's the perfect quotable, right? You, uh, it's yeah. actually. It's actually works in context as well. <laughs> perfect. I. I mean, you know, I recognize that Molaram is perhaps one of the weaker links in the chain of Indiana Jones villainy, but all is forgiven for that one line, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I think what what really strikes me about it you're is throwing the... haymakers already. I couldn't disagree more. Oh, interesting. Well, I just think <laughs> I fucking is... love Molaram. I that's the thing. I, I love Molaram in spite of in spite of myself because I recognize that he's a bit of a step down. Um, but I just you know all is forgiven for this. The, it's the broken English quality of this line because it makes no sense in context. Well, right? they're not. He's yeah. not welcoming them to anywhere. They no, were in his no, temple yeah. of doom like five minutes ago. So why right. is he welcoming them to the to the other side of the bridge? <laughs> so I just love the idea that they were like, uh, uh, "Amrish, say something," and that was what he said. And they were like, "Okay, well, we'll we'll think of something better." And it's not it even in. that because he didn't speak English, right? Like Steven Spielberg would have to say lines phonetically to him, and then he would just repeat it. And so the sort of yeah. The, the, the odd cadence and pauses yeah. are because he's waiting for Steven Spielberg. But it to, for me, it leads to this really magical performance that I, to this day, still love. Do you think that he was trying to say goodbye? And it came out as welcome. <laughs> the, the other side of it is, I think, the, the, the writers. Um, because this also, it feels like a placeholder line that they forgot to replace at some point. Uh-huh. You know, that they were just like, well, obviously it'll be something different than welcome, but let's just put it in there now so we can move <laughs> on to the next bit of the scene. Yeah, we've talked about this before. What? Well, uh, but I think in reference to a title, we said it was a placeholder and then it just stayed. I can't remember what it was, sure. though. But anyway. it's interesting because I've been I've in preparation for, for this um, series. I've watched all the making of documentaries. Uh-huh. For, um, well, for everything up to the end of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and um, it's it's kind of uh, Spielberg basically admits as much, at least where Temple of Doom is concerned, that he he was trying to recreate the Republic serials that you know that they were multi episode mm -hmm. films that ended on a cliffhanger, and he talked about how there would be a week between them. 
And oh wow! By the time you know you would you would go and see them on, on the Saturday mornings, and then you'd have yeah. a whole week without uh, waiting for to see how the cliffhanger was going to be resolved. Yeah. And then you come in the week later, and he said, you know, we all forgot the details. So they could put anything in. They could cheat their way out of any cliffhanger because we didn't remember any of the details. Well, and he said a- that is, Annie said, Wilkes would remember. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> <laughs> great, great pull. Um, but Spielberg was saying that's the challenge when you're doing this as a two-hour continuous film is that the right. audience is going to remember the details. Um, but he found himself, he, like throughout Trample of Doom, he had all these cliffhanger moments and mm-hmm. he had no way to cheat his way out of them. And a lot of that residue, I think, is still there, especially in the second half of Temple of Doom. I agree. I, But I also, you know, it's one of my biggest notes for that movie in particular is how much it feels like a serial. Yeah. Back more so from, than any you know, of the other. In more than any of the others. Yeah, for sure. They uh, really, they really, in, including in them. music cues and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and racism. I don't know, yeah. Yeah. Sadly in that too. <laughs> it's the most, it's the most thirties, eighties movie that was ever made. Yes. In every respect. Gotta be. (laughs) Well, here we are, friend. We gotta rank these four movies. That's right. One one just came out this last summer. Obviously, we both saw it in in the theaters, but we've had to kind of pivot back and forth about whether or not we were going to end our year Mm -hmm. with this uh, grand series. And then we got word it would come out on December 1st. Neither of us wanted to pay 20 bucks for it. No. So, and, uh, uh, and by the way, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it, this this was... But it feels like one. a long time coming for the Everything, a podcast called the Everything Sequel Podcast to get to Indiana Jones, but not our fault. They're still making movies, so... Yeah, that that, that was, uh, you know, we were, I think we were both waiting for Dial of Destiny to come out and, and for it to be confirmed that it would be the last Indiana Jones film. Uh, I don't know if we got that confirmation necessarily, but uh, yeah. at least that, the Harrison Ford phase is over. That's it's got to sure. be. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I didn't feel like he had one more in him uh, at the end of Crystal Skull, but uh, I was wrong. Right. Yeah. So who Clearly. knows? You know, there's still there's still one more phase of Indy's life that he that he could catch up to. Right. Um, <laughs> there's got to be some sort of tomb or crypt at the, at the bottom of an old age yeah. home somewhere, right? That'd be great if for the final Indiana Jones film, Indiana Jones was the artifact that they were yeah. chasing for the entire movie. The <laughs> tomb trying, of Indiana Jones. Trying to get his hat out of, off of a stone piece and find the right, like the correct a, weight. And it'd be like the final Poirot, which yeah, I won't, I won't spoil for you, but there's a similar twist there. <laughs> or, or the Trail of the Pink Panther, which is a, is a movie that we will probably one day cover. Oh, we most certainly will. That's the one after Peter Sellers had died, made entirely mm-hmm. of outtakes. I remember seeing it in theaters as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a slow week. <laughs> it must have been a slow week. For that particular movie theater. <laughs> Today we're just putting on outtakes of Peter Sellers, and you're just gonna have to deal with it. Oh, good times. Mm. Well, 
I mean, here we are. It's one of the seminal series uh, for for someone of my age. It's yeah, it's like a series you grew up with and loving. I, I you know, I don't know anybody my age upon first seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark, not wanting to be Indiana Jones for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Well, you know? I this yeah, I grew up with this series and. It can even the the more recent films continue to follow me around in ways that are almost mystical. How's that? Well, I mean, to to put it all in context, uh, Temple of Doom was the first VHS I remember owning. Oh, okay. The Last Crusade was one of my first memories of of seeing a movie at the theater. I can still oh, wow. remember Julian Glover and Harrison Ford's big faces. That's like my uh, might be even my first. Mem- like movie theater memory. I can't really place anything before that. Nice. And then, you know, Crystal Skull, I, I saw it at the movie theater like a normal person. <laughs> but uh, I was, shortly after its release, I was on, I was on a long haul flight to Australia, which was, about near, which was basically a day in length. And the in-flight in- entertainment system broke down about an hour <laughs> into the flight. And, you know, the the passengers are like near riot because what the fuck are we gonna do for the next twenty hours? Right? Yeah, right. None of us are prepared for this. And so what they did was, and they couldn't get it back up for for love nor money. They could not get this um this in flight entertainment system to reload. Tell me they started playing out the movie, like. <laughs> well, more like or less, yeah. The staff, so they... the staff started. Oh, just... oh that would have yes. They were like. <laughs> They're pushing the drink yeah. cart down <laughs> and then swinging on vines with monkeys. For, for the rest of the flight, we will be serving Dan Aykroyd's vodka. <laughs> yeah, no, no. What happened was they hooked up like a beta system. Uh, and, t- <laughs> and so there was a broadcast network going through the plane. <laughs> um, and so you well, basically you, you could watch movies on a loop on three or four different channels and one of those movies was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And so you I don't watched re- it for li- 20 straight hours? Well, listen, I don't remember what the other movies were on the list, but I do remember that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was the only one I would even consider watching, so I cannot imagine the quality of the other movies that were that were offered. But yeah, it was just going around in a loop for the entire time, and you know, I, I tried to start watching it, and I, you know, I'd lose interest, and I take my headphones off, but I, it was still up there on the screen through the entire flight, and I right. dip in and out and watch large parts of it several times over without any sound. So, you know, it felt like at that point the move that movie's haunting me at that point, right? That's our relationship <laughs> now. Yeah, is is this following me around like a poltergeist, <laughs> and then. Dial of Destiny. I, uh, I I remember the the day that Dial of Destiny came. I had like a ticket reserved, you know, uh, uh, for like a few days after it was released. And then the day it came out, working at home, middle of the afternoon, um, my power goes out, and you know, I I look up the you know, I go on, I'll go on to the energy company and yeah. try to find out. They give estimates about when it's going to come back on. It's not going to come back on for like four or five more hours. And I was like, hang on, doesn't Dial of Destiny come out today? So I went into my AMC app and I was like, I was like, okay, there's a 2.30 showing. Okay. Do um, they have power? Yeah, that, <laughs> they did have power. Yes, as far as I knew. And I was like, I wonder if there's any seats. And not only were there seats, but 
this this seat that I always pick if it's available. Which yeah. you know, if anyone wants to know, I don't know why you would. D seven. Um <laughs> and I was like, wow, and it was just that seat. And so I was like, okay, so the universe is telling me I'm going to see Dial of Destiny today. And and not only that, like I was, you know, I had, I had a couple of hours of overtime to work off. So I was like, oh, great. I mean, literally everything is directing me towards the, the movie theater to go and see this. So, you know. Did that it, convince you of the quality of movie you were going to see? Well, we'll find out, won't we? You'll, you'll have right. your answer in about half an hour. <laughs> But but I mean you know that's uh that is a crazy amount of biographical crossover with the Indiana Jones series I think yeah that's nuts I don't have that much but yeah I but, do yeah a few years ago I did show up uh to school I was teaching drama and theater in in San Marcos and I came in in full Indiana Jones gear yeah just to find out that because I'm the drama teacher and they don't tell the drama teacher anything because you're not like a permanent part of the staff. You know, I'm hired by somebody else to go into this school. Uh, They don't dress up there. So (laughs) I'm just rolling around like Indiana Jones, the only person dressed up. And frankly, I was fine with that. The best part of that is like that you weren't dressed like Indiana Jones when he's a teacher. You were, right. You no. Were yeah. Dressed, exactly. You you were dressed as he is when he's not specifically when, when he's, he's not teaching. teaching. And I love that inversion. That that yeah. feels that feels very us. If 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 nothing else, we we must invert. We we must in, in, invert. And I love the fact that 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 you missed the point on two levels. That's the, that's the other. <laughs> <laughs> you got the wrong. Indiana Jones teaching costume, and there was no costume at all. That very much sounds like me. (laughs) Well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was it like for you? My first question will be, what was it like for you? This is, I could kind of split this series in half, or at least these sequels in half. So two of these movies I've seen so many times, it's not worth counting. Mm -hmm. And... One only recently came out. I've only seen it the once so far. And so the other half of the series I have not seen barely at all. So what was it like for you to watch these all together? Well, full disclosure, we haven't rewatched Dial of Destiny yet. True, yeah. So we're we're, we're not ranking blind, but we're ranking myopically because we've Mm -hmm. we've only seen it once. I'm interested to see it again and interested to know whether that affects my ranking or not. Yeah, I, I kind of came into this thinking, this is how I'm going to rank, but I reserve the right yeah, to change my yeah. mind. Yeah, because, you know, all, all I've got is a is an initial response yeah. uh, to seeing the movie once, and, and uh, we can we can always revisit that. Well, I'm, I'm very interested in talking about this series with you, because mm-hmm. you're a, you're a uh, far greater Spielberg fan than I am. But right previous conversations we've had about the Indiana Jones sequels, I get the impression that I like these movies a lot more than you do. So the roles are a little bit reversed here. I don't know. I, I, I perfectly understand why you're saying that. I think I had let things slip in the past about yeah. at least two of these movies. But I, I was mean, very... I feel like I'm going to be defending Spielberg more than you are, which is a weird position for me to be in. No, I don't think you will. I, okay, I, okay, I, that, that was one of my takeaways on this rewatch. 
I remembered why I love Steven Spielberg. <laughs> this is this these movies are the main reason that I love Steven Spielberg. And I say that as someone yeah. who thinks that he's wildly overrated for some of the films that he's made, but not these. I think the, this is his level. Okay. This is where to me his strengths as a director are most visible is this is what he does in this series. And it's interesting cuz I, I assume, you know, you've seen the HBO documentary about Spielberg. Yeah. I think I got into But I feel like I need to rewatch it cuz I watched it some yeah. time back and but I got as someone who's a kind of Spielberg skeptic, I got entirely the wrong message from that move that movie. I think that documentary was trying to tell me that <laughs> it was a good thing that Steven Spielberg got that review from Pauline Kale that called him superficial and then spent mm. the rest of his career trying to exercise that demon. I feel right. entirely the opposite. Right, I feel like he, when he embraces his superficiality, he's unstoppable. He's great. I f- yeah, I feel like when he tries to attach himself to wor- to self consciously worthy projects, because he's because he's insecure about appearing superficial. I think that's when he goes wrong. So this series is a little bit like Guillermo del Toro all over again. Really, it's like this this series is where <laughs> he kind of finds his level, and and often it's a joy to sort of see him work, and you realize that you know. There's this, there's this kind of schluckmeister in mm-hmm. him somewhere that comes out almost only in these movies. Yeah. Well, and maybe and not... Poltergeist, but th- this and Poltergeist really is, that's it. But, I mean, we've talked about Poltergeist and we've talked about how much he may or may not have directed that movie, but his name's not on that movie. In the same way, right. And it's you know, very even much if... on Temple of Doom. Yeah. But he's and... also making these movies... His creative partner is George Lucas. Sure. And that also uh, is, it cannot be... Cannot be discounted. Can, or underestimated. Or, yeah, right. And if you watch these making of documentaries, there's a running theme, which is that... Now, which ones are you watching? What is it on? Oh, well, it, I found them all on YouTube. They're all kind of con- contemporaneous ones. Okay. The, the Temple of Doom one was made for... T- I mean, they're all official Lucasfilm making of documentaries... You know, like the like the ones they did for the Star Wars prequels, they're refreshingly candid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, they're real warts and all documentaries. They don't hold anything back, and you get the sense of this kind of copacetic antagonism between Lucas and Spielberg. Yeah, the the, the, the you know again and again you get the same uh, anecdote that you know <laughs> basically Spielberg is fending off the George Lucas crazy idea mill. As long mm-hmm. as he can until he has to just relent and give up and cave. And the more sequels they make, the harder it gets for him to turn down George Lucas's crazy ideas. Crazy ideas. And the most telling one of this is at the beginning of the Crystal Skull documentary, where okay. Steven, Steven Spielberg's talking head is him um, saying, you know, George Lucas wanted to reintroduce Indy in the trunk of a car. And I said, sure. I was like, that's a man who's stopped fighting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because because if you watch if you compare it to the other ones is like he you know all the way through Raiders he was going do let's see him as a champagne guy and I was like no 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 let's not do that and then yeah. eventually when we got to Temple of Doom I caved and that's how it normally goes and and at the beginning of Crystal Skull he's like okay George yeah I'll try to make it pretty by doing an overhead kind of right you know Hitchcock shot exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like okay I mean you know. 
I don't really want to be here, so. <laughs> well, I I was gonna. I didn't know if I should bring this up now, uh, or or wait to get into the episodes. But since it kind of applies to all the movies, and we're talking about Spielberg specifically in his direction, yeah. One thing that I I have had as a conscious thought, but not really ever verbalized it before. Mm. There's one thing that Steven Spielberg does. I think in a magic trick sort of way, better than anybody else does, and that's sanitize violence. Ah, that's so interesting. Because he w- and often he will also preview or post like section of violence. Hmm. He will he will punctuate it with a joke. So he'll either preview oh, yeah. it or punctuate it with a joke. Yeah, as I say, I think it's because he feels uneasy about being seen as someone who puts violence on screen. Mm-hmm. But he's also someone who is incredibly good at it. It's almost the best. Yeah. The best part of his directorial portfolio. So there's a tension there, I think. I th- I guess it made me interested because I start, you know, while I was watching The Last Crusade specifically. Because there's just so much death in it. Oh yeah, he's yeah. shooting three guys at a time. Where that really stood out to me on this rewatch. Yeah, yes. we're we're blowing up planes. We're we're stealing people's cars. Not that that's violence, but you know, there's yeah, yeah that well that guy they 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 consign that man to death because yes exactly in the mid, in the middle of Spain rural he's, Spain where's he what's he gonna do he's now? not going he has no water he's in the middle of a desert <laughs> yeah. he's yeah. gonna die. But I I started thinking about that and juxtaposing it against the first, you know, 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan and realized that he's he can flex both those muscles. Yes. That, that, and yeah. that that to me was very interesting watching these movies. And that's that, you know, it's it, the same man who decided he wanted to take guns out of E.T. and then decided to put them back in again. Yeah, right. He clearly, you know, there's this there's an internal tension about about being some being a filmmaker who uses screen violence, mm-hmm. and you know he's kind of debating with himself what's appropriate, what's over the line, um, and you know <laughs> when we talk about Temple of Doom, we'll we'll also have that conversation because right. there are moments of that that really cross the line, not only for Spielberg but for for uh, well, and P- that's, PG movies yes. in general. And that's yes. why I wanted to bring it up, because we all know that this movie, or not this, but specifically Temple of Doom and the movie Gremlins mm-hmm. brought forth why we have PG-13. And so it's thought of as this darker, more violent movie. And it is compared to the other movies, but it's not like there's more death in that movie no. than there are in the other movies. And so I yeah. wanted to bring it up in the sense that dark and terrible things happen throughout this series. I, th- uh, I think we often forget it because so often it's too. happening yeah. to Nazis. So we do, we're, we're okay with that. But What's your beef with the Nazis? <laughs> What's your beef with the Nazis? <laughs> oh, it's Mel Brooks. Oh, he's going after the Nazis again. <laughs> one of my all-time favorite jokes. Yeah. And I think one of all th- Mel Brooks's all-time favorite jokes. But... You know what's you know just not to take us off on a tangent, but too late. That's, that's one of the, one of the few moments where you see Martin Short as Jiminy 
chocolate crack is when he asks Mel Brooks what he's scared of and he replies, olive oil. And he's just not ready for that response, even in character. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, that's good. It's, it's interesting what you're saying as well about the Nazis and, and saving Private Ryan, because this is quite a pejorative thing to say, but it is something I do genuinely think that that when Spielberg approaches worthy subjects, he kind of turns them into genre entertainment. Mm-hmm. And so there's a danger of trivializing the subject matter. Yeah. And it's quite interesting that, you know, these are, you know, these are not movies that necessarily have big moral lessons or, or you know, or making any big kind of historical revisionist point like, they were attempting to do with Saving Private Ryan and and Schindler's List and uh, Color Purple and films like that. Sure. Uh, and yet, the in terms of the content, you know, you you you've got concentration camps, you've got Nazis. The content is as is as kind of dark as those other movies, but the tone yeah, is right. very. If the tone is very right. different, and I don't know if Spielberg necessarily knows ever knew how to make that transition where he wasn't turning everything he did into genre entertainment. For better or worse, mm-hmm. here definitely for better, uh, maybe yeah. for worse in some other movies that require a bit more of a, uh, and you know, a bit more of an a defter touch, hand. yeah, well, a bit more. Of, you know, it's like I always think of even the kind of contrast between Django Unchained and Twelve Years a Slave, right? It's mm-hmm. like you watch them back to back and you go, well, one of these is a Saturday morning kids cartoon, the other is like a real yes. right. movie, yes. And that I feel that you know when 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 Spielberg uh, you know um, attempts a worthy and epic that you know is is very very serious subject matter sensitive. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether he ever does it justice, um, but he's good at doing the other way. Is like taking that content and turning it into a genre film, even up to like Munich, where you're just like, well, this is a fucking great thriller. Right, mm-hmm. but the, what it's about is ridiculously dark. Sure, and same same here with Temple of Doom, and you but you don't lose lose the sense of the gravity of what's going on. No, but, yeah, but it's always it 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 feels like a fun adventure. It, it, there's no point in Temple of Doom where it doesn't feel like a fun adventure film. Right, and so, I mean they do things specifically in that movie to counterbalance. You introduce short round. Well, th- and... this was my this is my revelation watching it this time. It, this movie has, uh, well, I don't know if I should save it, but I'll just all I'll say I'll thumbnail it now and we'll talk about it in detail. Sure. Temple of Doom has diabetes of tone. <laughs> it cannot control its levels of dark and light. <laughs> so I'm starting to get surprised because I, you know, I thought I don't know I don't remember what we were talking about, but. I thought you had let something slip about this series that made me think one thing uh-huh. in terms of, say, ranking. And now I'm starting to think maybe something else. And uh, Well, you know me. I'm like a BuzzFeed list. The answer might well, surprise you. Yeah. So I'm excited to get to this. I mean, were there any surprises for you? Well, to quote another Lucasfilm production, I've mm-hmm. always known how I feel okay. about these movies. And... Uh, I'm interested to see what a second viewing of Dial of Destiny does, but even that kind of conformed to my expectations in terms of ranking. Uh, where I struggle a little more is with good and bad, because yeah, 
I have a I have a there's at least one movie in this list that I have a lot of attachment to and fondness for, but I find harder to justify artistically than the others. So, well, um, well, that that's my kind of that's my Spielbergian tension. Um, is All right. about one of the about one of these films, but that's really it. I think I'm clear. Otherwise. So not 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 many not many surprises. There were surprises as I went, but not none that affect my rankings or and and only only one that affects good and bad. What about you? Um, I'm the opposite. I I good. I that's like, good for this podcast. So yeah, I like you thought I was going to have no surprises. Yeah, and I did. It's great. For at least two of these movies, that could affect a good bad, mm-hmm. and affect my ranking. Okay. And I, I guess where I'm really struggling is with one section of you know there's. Oh. Without trying to give too much away, I feel like yeah, one of these movies is probably a better movie, but the other one might be a better sequel. Interesting. And I don't know how to reconcile that right now. This It's interesting what you say because... But I, I also could be completely I, wrong about that because the one that I think might be a better movie does... I, something I really... I'm being so cagey now. I feel fine. like we should just start, but... Mystery back uh, it up, you know? Yeah, I just feel like one movie does something, like flexes a muscle that I, I always knew was there, but I didn't realize how well it's done. I think I'll leave it there for now. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. It's a nice, <laughs> nice tease. I was so close to to saying more, but I, I, I you know, I think I'll keep it. Well, you, you're going to see, you know, when when I give my rankings, you're going to see that, that I've been able to kind of break these films down into parts and sections in a way that, I don't necessarily do with films, and and that made mm. ranking for me very easy because it, it just became a numbers game, you know, in terms of parts of the movies that I liked, part and parts of the movies I didn't like. I agree with you in that sense. Yeah. In, in as far as compartmentalizing, I often feel that how successful an Indiana Jones movie is is how well they handle the magical or mystical bullshit or nonsense that you're going to get at the end. Yes. So how how believable they make that, I think, matters for an Indiana Jones movie. And you kind of referenced it earlier in in terms of George Lucas's ideas of, hey, let's do this. And I think sometimes they feel a bridge too far. Yes. So. I mean, Spielberg's almost always right. Yeah, well. yeah, right. Making our yeah. documentaries because every choice that he talks about is is something that that probably would have compromised the the, the movie. <laughs> the the first one being about the their kind of struggle during Raiders was that George Lucas wanted there to be scenes in which Indy was seen as the champagne guy, you know, the more traditional kind of James Bond, yeah, glamorous womanizer. And, you know, he was pushing for scenes in which Indy hooked up with the girl with the tattooed um, eyelids. Eyelids? 
and he was supposed to, Marcus was supposed to find them, you know, drinking champagne at his house, and that there's still there's still oh a hangover there's, there's still a hangover He's... of that because that's why he has champagne at his house. Yeah, it's because like they filmed a scene where he was there drinking with her and then sent her on away. But and and Spielberg was like, no, this is wrong. Please don't do this. <laughs> and then, but of course, you know, the the problem was that you know he he had to he had to give George something. Yeah, and so he basically gave him the intro of Temple of Doom to do to do to make it to be a James Bond pastiche. Yeah, as a thank you for you know not insisting that not fucking up yeah. the first movie. And it's a and I I love it because it's just the right time to do that. And Spielberg's sort of like, well, okay, okay, now we can do it, right? Yeah, and I <laughs> I guess maybe now nah, I'll save it. I'll save it. Yeah, we we've we we can go into the weeds about there's yeah there's some really sequence. interesting shit about Temple to Do- Temple of Doom to me. me I think too. I'll save it for the episode, but there's there's a so a, a little turn a little little tricks that. Uh, that movie does that I'm only that movie yeah. only that movie can get away with well i'm always surprised to learn that it's a very unpopular sequel amongst the indie fan base yeah uh, that's nonsense to me it, it, it bothers me and i guess it goes against the grain of what we do here on the podcast as well is that we we, we embrace and celebrate sequels that try to do things differently and go against the grain of the original and, and right at a, at a, whether you like it or not, that's what Temple of Doom is all about. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And um, I think fan-wise, there was this great narrative, at least in what at one time was an original trilogy, <laughs> and that the first sequel was not very good and that the second sequel was uh, probably better than the first movie. And I never bought into that narrative ever. That's interesting. Well, that's certainly uh, that's that, that narrative certainly no longer exists. So, yeah, I, 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 you think you so you don't think so? I don't know. Well, maybe I don't know. We, we will. I feel like the people who hate Temple of Doom really deride it, and the people who love Last Crusade, yeah, really love it. But Last Crusade tries tries to make the case that Temple of Doom is a mistake in the way that it approaches the material. I think. Mm-hmm. So I think people are just kind of feeding off the energy of that. Okay. That it wants you to it, it wants you to leave with a sense that Temple of, you know Temple of Doom was a mistake. What were we all thinking? Well, um, I think it feels and, like that because Spielberg felt like that. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. So that's talks, the movie he made. And he talks in the. In and the I'm movie. here to tell him he's wrong. You made a good yeah. film. Oh, I'm, I'm letting too much out of the bag. <laughs> he, he, t- <laughs> he, he talks like he talks in the making of documentary. He said he wanted it to feel like a you know a two hour nightmare, mm-hmm. and he absolutely achieved that. Yeah. And to, to sort of disown it, to disown doing you making the what film you wanted to, to do, yeah, yeah, and being successful at it. I feel is again, it's that you know. I think it's the. It's the kind of the self, the self-hating uh, horror filmmaker inside him mm-hmm. talking. Yeah, all right. All right. Well, let's get to it. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I've been going first a lot lately, so okay. I'm yeah. No, I'm, I'll... I'm gonna go ahead and ask you, mm-hmm. what movie tops your list? Um, the movie that tops my list is a movie that has a superb first act, a really strong third act. And a bizarre and distasteful second act that nonetheless 
sort of works on its own terms. And that and that movie is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. All right. Okay. The amount of that movie that works yeah. is far more than the other sequels <laughs> in the series. I think that's the best way of breaking it down for me. What what I felt you had let slip earlier, not earlier in this talk, but earlier in, you know, we were talking about something. You mentioned something about Spielberg. Spielberg thinks yeah. he did this, but he didn't. He did it in Temple of Doom, which, yeah. it, you know, uh, why you, you said something that, that. Why you didn't see that as an attempt to bait you, I don't know. <laughs> But well, it, like, like, if like for any, no like other any, reason, like any great joke, it's based on a, there's a little bit of truth. There's a great yeah. bit of truth in there, which I is think... that is that uh, it's the Spielberg I'm most comfortable with as a film goer. Okay, as expressed well, in Temple of Doom. What was interesting to me was I thought you let something slip, and oh. I thought we were going to be at odds, but you let that slip, and I have to tell you. For my front two, I came in thinking I was sure. I was less sure after watching them, but at the top of my list was still Temple of Doom. This movie, I I don't think gets nearly enough respect as it deserves with all its flaws. And there's there's some not nice shit in Temple of Doom. It's imperfect, yeah. We'll talk about it, but Mm -hmm. as a sequel, this is the movie that I think works as a sequel yes oh better than any of the others it makes the argument for making sequels uh, as well as if not better than any of the movies we covered ever ever absolutely it's just there is no movie i don't i don't know of a sequel that has as deftly been referential to the movie that preceded it Mm -hmm. without hitting the audience over the head yeah. In ways that are charming, that are surprising, that are funny. Yeah. Uh, better than Temple of Doom. And but, I mean, again, go. let's go back to the Republic serial and the tradition that it comes yeah, right. from. Right? It's just, it's another, in, they treated it as a as a, another adventure of Indiana Jones. They mm-hmm. didn't treat it as a, as a, you know, a, certainly didn't treat it as a, you know, um, a continuation sequel because it's a prequel. Yeah, uh, but, right. But but part of that, a uh, part of that was you know they didn't want to get bogged down with what happened at the end of Raiders. But the other part of it, I think, is just they were treating it as a Republic serial. And in the making of documentary, they talk about you know the movie begins uh, two thirds of the way through Indy's previous adventure. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So they're they're treating it as this kind of ongoing serial of adventures. Yes, and and I guess I'm gonna let a, out. That's a. I mean that you know obviously that is a traditional approach to a very early idea of sequels, but it's one that you hadn't seen in you know um, late twentieth century sequels, mm-hmm. and it's very effective. Yeah, I think I'm going to let out of the bag now what I was going to say earlier, because the one thing I think that movie does, too, you know, there's some you could make the argument that there's rot that starts with Temple of Doom completely that gets into the rest of the series. Yes. Say introducing characters that appear to be Indy's lifelong friends that we're meeting for the first time. 
I have those notes as well. It's like it's like <laughs> yeah. because they did so well with Wuhan, they think yeah, they can do exactly. it with literally anybody. Right. And you know what's the genius to me of Temple of Doom is that you can get away with it in that movie only because it's a prequel. Yeah. Well, and, and because and because of how you handle it as well. That's true, yeah. Yeah. They they just learned the wrong lesson, which is that, that this is not inher- yeah. this doesn't inherently this... work. You have to make it work. You have to make it work, exactly. Yeah. So Yeah, I mean, you know, there there are just things about Temple of Doom that that to this day, I, I I just sort of relish when I watch it. Uh, absolutely, it's I, all, I it's love all about that relish. movie. It's, it's about a director embracing their 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 superficiality, their love of mm-hmm. the visceral, their love of of surface and excess. Yeah, right, surface, and uh, yeah, that's that's what the movie is about, and it's a celebration of, of all of that. It's um. Yeah, it's really it's 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 something else. Uh, every time every time you watch it, you you just can't quite believe they went through with what they went through with. Yeah. For a sequel to a to a hit movie. To a hit film, yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank God for two bummed out guys that had ended relationships. I guess. I, I know that making of documentary doesn't add up. They don't look bummed out at all. They look like they're having <laughs> they look like they're having the time of their lives. That's great, and I think that's what Spielberg doesn't want you to know. I think that's what that's why he kind of spun that divorce yarn. Uh-huh. It doesn't add up. He's having too much fun. That's funny. Yeah, and the other the other thing in terms of the rot that I wanted to mention and just plant the seed. And yeah. we'll talk about it in detail yeah. later. I think this is where magic realism is introduced, right? Sure, right. You know, and fans, I mean, fans pick the fans pick the wrong battles with these movies. Because it's so not like atten- you, you know. So much attention is focused on nuke the fridge as the moment that that magic realism takes over the series, but it begins. Oh no, temp- no, no! It no, begins yeah. in way back at, at the least in Temple of Doom. A man has his heart ripped out, and then his chest comes back together. A minecart goes off one rail, goes into and the lands on another. Lands sure, perfectly yeah. Perfectly on the other. I mean, how you can but, go go after nuke the fridge after this? But is what's interesting series, to I don't what's, understand. Yeah, what's interesting to me is that you're bringing up that it starts in Temple of Doom. But let's be honest, Raiders of the Lost Ark ends with ghosts flying around. But that's I, and that's it's not what handled I mean in a way in yeah. which we don't judge it for it ever because it's done so well. I think. I, I treat this is this is the thing I treat the fantasy storyline in an indie film almost as a separate entity to the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. When I say magic realism, I'm talking about plaus you know like plausibility essentially. Okay. Yeah. Um. And Raiders. I mean, I think that still apart, applies apart to the from, ghosts. Apart from, but... indie, apart from indie riding a submarine. Yeah. Across the ocean. <laughs> Without ever oh. being detected, and somehow <laughs> I think, apart from I, that, most of I, Raiders. I think he's up on and... top of it the whole yeah. time. Did it ever go under the water? <laughs> Temple of Doom doesn't stand up to you know realist scrutiny in the way that Raiders does. No, yeah, you're right. And from that point onwards, the the series cares less and less about that. Mm-hmm. All right, want me to go next? I could go. I mean, I can keep going if you want. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I I can't imagine that it's going to be anything other than the same movie. I think I think you're right. That's the sense I'm getting <laughs> as well. But I do I want to say a, I want to say a couple of things that All right. Uh, the next movie on my list I'm drawn to one particular storyline in the movie. Mhm. 
rather than you know in Temple of Doom, the first act and the third act, you know I think are yeah. outstanding and and I can you know and and there's a lot I like about the middle of the movie, but when I look at the the next movie on my list, I think about there's one storyline in this movie that transcends the others and is the reason why I will put it next on my list. And that is Indiana Jones and the last crusade. All right. I mean, we're in lockstep. I think we might even be locks in lockstep about what portion of the story for you is it? Oh, everything to do with Indy and his father. Me too. And I, I got to tell you, on this particular viewing, you know that it's kind of a coup to get Sean Connery in your movie, and he's sort of Boy, a perfect, perfect choice to play Indiana Jones's father. And yet, playing but, against type—that's the other exactly. thing. Exactly. I mean, I was, I was, I, I couldn't believe how old he seemed in this movie, I and have yet that this same is note. the, and yet he, like, this, this is the start of his second career as an action hero. This is this is uh, six years after Never Say Never Again, the last right. time he played James Bond, and when he first appears in this movie, he looks like an old man on the bus. Yeah, and it's like seven years before The Rock. <laughs> Where he's Where he, gonna... he, in some people's minds, he would play James Bond he, again. He's playing James Bond again. So, uh, but what stood out to me more than anything in little vignettes and small scenes, in big ways and small ways. These two actors together mm-hmm. and how they portray their story are working at such a high level. Yeah, they are. It's often pantsless as well, which was yeah, yeah. Out. You know that story um, where they were pantsless in the yeah in the in the um hit the blimp scene. The right, right. And you know it's funny because one thing I really noticed on this viewing was, I mean, Henry. Jones Sr., he doesn't show up for 50 minutes in this movie. Yeah. So you only get him for half a movie, and yet it's the best thing in the movie. Well, it's, yeah, it, again, it's 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 everything it's everything to do to that storyline, and there are reasons why it works so well. Obviously, the main one you've, you've identified, two of the great film stars yeah. who somehow are even better together than they are separately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the, the only time they've ever been on screen together, right? They've never. Done I think another. so. Yeah, unless Which... you count pictures. <laughs> count what? Like, like still. Pic... still you know images? the sequel. The sequel photo. Yeah, still images. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been writing a pitch for a movie for a sequel called Pictures? <laughs> yeah, th- and you know the the other fact is that famously playwright Tom Stoppard who you know, perhaps best known for his screenplay for Oscar winning screenplay for Shakespeare in Love, took a pass at this script. Mm-hmm. And as I understand it, everything that he wrote for the uh Indian his father scenes, they left in. Mm-hmm. So as right. I understand it, every word that comes out of Sean Connery's mouth was written by Tom Stoppard. And boy does it show. Does it matter, yeah. So it's brilliantly it's a brilliantly written by a by a legitimate you know uh craftsman a dramatic craftsman you've got connery you've got ford steven spielberg oh man 
understands distant how distant fathers, right? Biographically, yeah, we know totally. he under, he, distant fathers and and neglected sons, and that's what this whole storyline is about. So, the combination of him directing it, stuff you didn't need to make it, the Fablemans. You got it in this. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so, but the problem I I would say you know the reason why it's not top of the list is because. Everything else in the movie feels so hit and miss compared to this. Yeah, I and, agree. And, and there's a and there's a lot of misses. Right, and that's what I always thought. I never, I never, I always, uh, like I said earlier, I felt like there was this narrative that this movie was so good it was better than the original, and people that 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 fifty minutes without Sean Connery is hard work. Yeah, and and on top of that, you know, people. Out, thought this movie outpaced Temple of Doom so much, and I just, I, I, you know, listen, we watch a lot of sequels, so maybe we're better equipped to, you know, answer these questions. Maybe. But to, but to me, I, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't understand. No, I don't. People understand. disliking Temple of Doom as much as they seem to, and loving this movie so much, as good as it is. Yeah, well, as good as good as that, it's the the through line. It's the through line that's great. It's not the it's not the whole movie. Yeah, and and some some parts of it are a real. I I find a real slog. To okay. Be perfectly honest, just weighed down with, with bad comedy. This movie was. Uh, this is probably one of my favorite viewings of this movie. Mm, like this movie raised up for me. On this viewing. And the one thing that I always knew was there, but I didn't realize how well it's done. And of course, it's negated because they end up making more movies. But (laughs) this movie is a sign off. This movie is saying goodbye. And it's saying goodbye throughout the entire series, almost compulsively. Yeah. Uh, Well, one of the first lines in the movie is, you belong in a museum, so do you. Yeah. It belongs in a museum, so do you. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about... <laughs> I have that note. Ford still, still making indie movies when he's 80. Yeah. like, really? We're going to start here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what can I say? It's... I, I, there's, there's a lot to like in this movie. And yeah. the you, big I mean, takeaway for me was not even just their relationship, but also specifically Sean Connery. I'd have to go back and look. I don't know if he was nominated, but boy, should he have been. Oh, That's how extra, good I think his performance yeah. is in this movie. But individually and together, they're both um, incredible. Yeah. And I th- I, you, only, you would only have to put a camera on me while I'm watching it to, to, to find out how I think about it. Because, <laughs> you know, literally I'm like Buster Keaton for <laughs> like this just total blank this kind of total blank canvas face for the first 50 minutes of the movie. And there's Sean Connery in the movie and I'm just crack, you know, I'm like guffawing and slapping yeah. my knee. And I mean, yeah. it's literally that quickly, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it's, it, it goes from comedy, it goes from comedy executed poor, like broad comedy executed poorly to broad comedy executed expertly. Perfectly. In, yeah. In, in like 10 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. As soon as Connery comes on screen. And when they start a fire and start saying, Dad, what? Yeah, and don't get me started on Son, They Got Us. I mean, oh my God. if there's, a better, if there's a, a better joke about fatherhood in a movie, I've never seen it. 
<laughs> Not just that, I'll take it a little bit further. One of the things we always loved, which I, I, I guess to hear you tell it, George Lucas didn't want, but one of the reasons we always loved Indiana Jones because he was the sloppy hero. Yeah. And one of my huge takeaways for this was how sloppy both men were yeah, I, I, I and never I'm... revealing it to each other if yeah. they could help it. And, and Lucas boy, was that, that. He funny. Wanted him, he wanted him to be, you know, Calvinist conservative. And it was Connery who had to, you know, had to um, pull rank on him and sort of. He pulled a say, Donald Pleasance. Yeah, and, and just he was sort of say you know let's uh, let's make this guy more interesting let's uh, yeah let's have him sleeping with Indy's girlfriend and all that sort of stuff to yeah. kind of make make it literally make it spicier. Well, I don't think for many people uh, depend you, you know they might quaffle about uh, is that a word? No, it's not. <laughs> But it is now, and I'm really glad you said it. Quaffle is... Quaffle is a word. It's just from Harry Potter. It's one of the the balls. Then I hate it. (laughs) You can't can't change your mind that quickly. Yes, I can. You can't. I caught you in my trap. But people might waffle. People might waffle between... Yeah, uh, the two movies at the top of our list, but I think most people would have those two movies at the top of their yes. lists, and then yeah, that I leaves mean, the it, bottom it... of the list. <laughs> well, you've uh, <laughs> you've, uh, you've you've made your feelings clear. Uh, <laughs> calling calling it the bottom <laughs> when it when it goes from halfway down. <laughs> You could also have said it's halfway up the list, but no, no, rise up, rise up, rise up. Come um, on. There's the top of the list. Uh, I don't care. Well, go ahead. You go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So the next film on my list is a movie that I think has a really. I hope we disagree. It's possible. It's definitely possible. (laughs) It's a movie that I think has a really effective first half, and then a an almost unsalvageable second half. Okay. And that's... I know the movie you're talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the perfect description of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. So that is, uh, that's, that's third on my list. What say you? Okay. (laughs) I mean, you know, you've heard what I thought about the prequels, so it's probably not a big surprise that I'd have more sympathy to a loathed early 2000 George Lucas. Right. Than than I do, and I, and I do, but I mean, I I share a lot of the critiques of the movie, but I also think that the problems of the film are in the second half, and and there's there's long periods of the movie that I can actually enjoy, uh, yeah, unreservedly. Well, I don't know if we've talked about it on air or not. I can I don't even know if we've talked about it off air, but I know that you probably know that upon seeing this film in theaters. I loathed it. Yeah, I, I did not. Uh, I just, I just hated everything about that movie. To quote a Lucasfilm production again, I've always known. <laughs> well, so here was one of my big surprises because watching that film, mm. you're right. I, I was shocked 
as to how easy the first half of that movie went down. Yeah, this is where fandom has picked the wrong battles. I keep saying it, and particularly as it applies to Lucasfilm um, pre Lucasfilm sequels. Mm -hmm. It's nothing. The you know, it's it it starts incredibly (laughs) well. I don't. I just. I'm trying to like. I'm not saying that it's a perfect first half, but it, it's exactly what it's you not, said. It's not, but goes, it's... It goes down easy. It's yeah. It's very enjoyable. It was it much... you along. Yeah, it was much better than I point. ever remembered, uh, which was shocking to me. And mm. so I really had to start wrestling with, because I came in with a preconceived notion. Well, you told me, I, this might be where you spilled the beans, you told me that you would have to watch it twice and that your first viewing would basically be like like the, like the scene where they're giving him like a radiation shower basically yeah. it's like just, just so you could hate drink it. yeah that's just so you could sort yeah. of like sweat out the the sweat the out anger. your hatred and then and then I'll tell you what else I mean this is just a, a minor side note but I'll tell you what else helps that movie uh Watching it on a small screen as opposed to a big screen. Because... Also, Disney Plus is color correction. It's yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. So uh, the things like the fridge rolling over mountains and it's not helping. Not helping either of our cases. You're no. bringing up these examples. Right? I know. I know. But <laughs> it's a specific note for that. Looks way less egregious on a small screen than it did on the big screen. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I even, I even look, pa- I look past the look of the movie in that first half because I, I kind of, I get what it is and what it's trying to be. Again, up to a point. And Say it again. You were understand. cutting out there. Okay, I, I was, I said I look past the look of the movie. Uh huh. In the first half, because I understand what it is and what it's trying to be. It's really hard to do just, that in the second half. It just completely falls away. Yeah. And that's and so every everything that is visually wrong with the movie in the second half, which to be fair is just the style of the movie throughout, mm-hmm. hits harder in the second half. It seems more egregious to me. It does, because, yeah. Because because it, it's part a part of such nonsensical storytelling mm-hmm. that it 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 just it rubs you the wrong way and you know it's because you're mentioning things that happen in the first half of the movie that are indefensible yeah it's right. like marcus marcus brody's head rolling into a communist lap i mean <laughs> that shouldn't be in the movie but it sort of feels like it's in the spirit of the movie boy did i point. forget that there was a, a statue of marcus brody at that well, college we'll get, we'll get into that wow I'm, there's been some serious retconning of this series of serious yeah, retconning no, yeah. of who of who and what Marcus Brody, Brody is. is. Yes, that was another. That was one of my big marks when I first watched Crusade. Marcus is yeah yeah. Uh, all right, let me get to it. Again, I'm gonna reserve the right to change my mind. I don't think I don't think we're gonna have one word of argument, Mike. But. <laughs> Despite For the way you're the way you're approaching this 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 uh this ranking, I think <laughs> it's on. gonna be it's gonna be plain sailing. So <laughs> I reserve the right to change my mind, but That's as of right now, today, despite my 
really gravitating towards the first half of Crystal Skull, I'm still going to say Dial of Destiny is next on my list. You're absolutely wrong. And it's there's one specific reason I have for that. I don't I, maybe I'll save it for the episode. You went you but... went to the wrong movie? No. <laughs> You accidentally sold me People ask me what I think of Dial of Destiny when it first came out, and I kept saying it feels like uh, it felt like a reasonable facsimile of an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> no, that's not a really ringing think. endorsement. <laughs> but what I'm trying to do is juxtapose what I think about a middling movie against a movie uh, yeah. that is. Uh, okay and 50% so terrible I want to if it was a human being the movie I would strangle it to death if that's what you thought of Dial of Destiny then I agree that that would be a toss up that would be a that would be a you know no that would be like that would be the coin toss right yeah is is half a good movie better than a a, you know an overall fine movie yeah However, I I simply do not think Dial of Destiny is an overall fine movie. Okay. And I'm going to break it down for you right now. Um, this is where it's going to get a little bit loyally, because <laughs> I have a case to make against this movie. Yeah. There's a lot that cannot be entered into evidence about this movie. <laughs> and because of that, it goes automatically to the bottom of the list. Okay, Exhibit A. <laughs> Exhibit A. Thirty minutes of this film, I am watching a Harrison Ford digital avatar. That part of the movie gone. Okay, I mean, C- cannot be considered. Okay, <laughs> fine. Go ahead. I'm not even going to argue. Your Exhibit Honor, I retract B. my statement. Exhibit B. Neither Lucas or Spielberg are involved in this movie. Mm-hmm. It is fan fiction. It is high-end fan fiction where they've got some of the original actors. So I will evaluate this movie as I would evaluate Never Say Never Again. Exhibit C. Just ex- just evaluate it for what it is, not who's not, that is not involved. It is. It's high-end fan fiction. That's what I'm judging it against. Exhibit C. This is interesting because I broadly agree with the defenders of this movie that you cannot watch it as an Indiana Jones film as we once knew it. You have to watch it as a movie that came out in 2023. Mm -hmm. But I think we are living in the nadir of franchise movies right now at this very moment. Yeah. So everything 2023 about this movie makes it a worse movie. Okay. All right. So, I'm not gonna argue too much CGI, too, too much against pieces. that. Yeah, but too you 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 can't make listen, that argument and not that, talk about no. Kingdom of Crystal Skull having the I, same problems. Too too much CGI, too many set pieces, baffling storytelling and and characterization, length, all of that, everything that 2023 adds this movie detracts from it. And then finally, Exhibit D, despite the mental gymnastics that fans of Indiana Jones have done to say that the fantasy storyline in this movie is somehow equivalent to the fantasy storylines in the other three Indiana Jones sequels. No, I'll agree with you there completely. Or the other four (laughs) Indiana Jones movies. I know. It is not the same. So so basically the last half hour of the film that involves this fantasy storyline, that's also gone, right? 
So now we've got like maybe an hour left of the movie. And not that's enough a for so, you. So it's a so so hour, if that. Now, I want to talk about your characterization portion of your argument because there's one thing in that movie that I'm going to stick up for. And it was the one thing that surprised me and therefore the one thing that I started to gravitate to and really like in the movie. Yeah. Because in the previous movie, you make a casting choice and... I'm saying, yeah, I have no idea what you're going to say. <laughs> in the previous movie, in Crystal Skull, you make a casting choice for Shia LaBeouf and he is going to be the son. <laughs> Even the filmmakers decide... In the last seconds of that movie, oh no, you're, we're not throwing the mantle to you. Give me that hat back, sir, and put it on. So I think everybody felt like that was a, a, a bad casting choice. I don't know. People seem to hate Shia LaBeouf. I would even slightly disagree with that for, you know. I, I would I, 100% disagree I with that. I think he does. I think he's the reason why the first half of that movie is so yeah, good. Yeah, I think he does fine in the movie. Having said that, they felt like, I assume, or maybe it's, it's, it's his own personal life shit because he's been famously kind of hard to work with or whatever. But yeah. they decide to not have him in the next film and they kill him off off screen. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit more than deciding him not to have, have him in the film to kill yeah. off his character. They kill off the character. Here's the thing that I'll say, though. Harrison Ford is such a good fucking actor that you feel yeah. the weight of that loss no, throughout the whole I film. I, I do. Feel, I feel the, the you know, the... the Your Honor, trailer. I submit Mr. Stewart trail, might be blind trail, and deaf. The slime trail of a corporate decision that has been taken to, to you know, once again try and appease fandom by killing off a character who wasn't popular. Mm-hmm. And they make entirely the wrong narrative choice by killing him off and keeping Marion alive. Well, why? Spoiler alert. Movie. <laughs> when I came out of that movie, I was like, I was like, Mar Marion should have died and Mutt should have still been alive. Even why? if you don't have him in the film. Why? You don't have Marion in the film. She Tell me be why. Dead. Because it's a better story. Why is it a better story? It's what should it what should it's what should have happened. Because I don't, I don't need him to, to. I, I, I then because then I, he doesn't have to have a broken marriage, and so much of the, so much of the idea of him having lost his son doesn't have to be there. It can just be that. I know, think he's... maybe you're letting the fact that you're a father color how you feel about. No, it. not no? at all. Okay. No, I mean. It might. What, what's letting me color it is that I I don't nor did I ever have the issues with Mutt that fandom had, mm -hmm. the character or the actor, the writing of the character. I mean, he's caught up in that garbage truck of a second half of the of Crystal Skull. It's not his fault. No, yeah, I'll agree with that. Their relationship was developing fine up until that point. I do think there are moments where... And that where... has been misrepresented. I do think there are moments where he's pressing as an actor. He feels like he's got the big part in the big film and he's with Harrison Ford. But those well, are totally min minor quibbles, totally though. That totally fits with the character. That's totally... 
how no, the I, 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 I kind of see I kind of see beyond it too, and there there are moments where he's welling up in a way where I think he's playing for an Oscar, as opposed oh, to just playing the on. moment. Yeah, I, I, his I, emotional I, attachment to the character he's crying about is well established by that point. Meh. It was earned. Felt more like Sandra Locke. <laughs> well, we disagree <laughs> about that too. <laughs> At any rate, I'm well. Well, I I didn't see you. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see you defending. Uh, I thought. I defending thought. Yeah, Destiny. like I said, I I guess we're gonna disagree. I. I don't. I'm. I'm like. You're not gonna find me defending Dial of Destiny too much, but I. I shouldn't have to settle, especially for a movie that never needed to be made. Yeah, sure, but it was made, and they made the choices they made, and I think it's perfectly fine to tell the story of a father who's lost his son, and to have us as the audience feel the weight of it, and I do throughout. His entire performance. I think and it's an albatross around the film's neck that it doesn't need. Okay. And that and that we don't need on and a color we don't need on Indiana Jones. To me, it was something interesting, especially after having watched the first two sequels, and how cavalier he was with his romantic choices, and so to see mm-hmm. where the his relationship with Marion went to. And how grounded the character became and what had befallen him. That was interesting to me to watch Indiana Jones in that new light. I I find it all very disingenuous. All right. I don't don't know why we keep finding these legacy characters. I mean, it's the Han Solo problem. It's like, why do we keep finding them in these nadirs of their lives Mm -hmm. when we come back to them? It, It doesn't help the drama at all. It only hurts it. And says they did it you. again. Says me. Well, that's how, that's genuinely how I felt. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's uh, that's why it's at the bottom of my list. All right. So that leaves us with good, bad. Mm. Uh, struggle at all? Top of the list, bottom of the list? What do you... For one of these movies. Just one? Mm-hmm. Me too. Hmm. Not much of a struggle, honestly. <laughs> no, mine is. Mine is. Okay. Uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, it's so... Good movie? Good movie, yeah. I think it had the potential to be a great movie, and I don't think it is. I don't think it I is think, either. Yeah, I think, I think you're right but, about that. But it's, it's frustrating because I, I can see a great movie in there, mm-hmm. save for a few key decisions about tone at certain moments in the yeah, movie. Yeah, right. So, it's frustr- It's a movie that also, as much as I like it, also frustrates me because I, I, I see, I see far more potential in it than sometimes they see when they're making it. I think sometimes they, right, they go for the lowest common denominator when they could. Uh, they have they've actually got everything they need in the scene, but they feel like they have to add more, or turn it into something mm. else. But we'll talk about that. Okay. But definitely a good movie. I agree. Not as good as it could have been, but a good movie. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Not as rich as they should be, of course. Yes, yes. 
I, I think it's not just a good movie. I think it's probably close to a very good movie. Yeah. And like you, I, I, I don't think it's great. Uh, yeah. But it could have been. I know. Yeah. And, part, and, you know... I mean, you know how I think movie, about it? If the, if the movie continued the way the first act begins... Uh-huh. If it could have somehow maintained that, which I recognize is not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no easy feat. <laughs> right. But if they could have sustained that, it would have been one of the greatest sequels of all time and probably one of the greatest Hollywood movies of all time. All right. All right. That's I how much it's... I love that first act. Oh, man. Did I ever want... It's special. It's really special. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know what's funny about that is it turned out Lucas, for all his middling, like that to me was a good choice. Very good choice, yeah. So it's but, an... In- but but well, if I'll... he'd have had his way, that wouldn't have been like the first time we'd seen that. And yeah, that right. wouldn't right. have had the same appeal. So yeah. it's still Spielberg's... Uh, it's still Stabilbeck's timing that saves it. That's that makes it right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say more, but obviously we're gonna talk about these movies in depth, so I'll talk about it then. Yeah. Uh, Last Crusade. Again, there's 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 more than enough in that storyline yeah. to make it a good movie, but again, it's frustrating that 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 um, other sections of the movie just just don't uh, don't work mm-hmm. and kind of you can sort of see you can see what Spielberg is going for a lot of the time but it falls flat mm-hmm. there's a lot of that in this movie and that, that's something I recognized on this rewatch keenly that there's a lot of there's a lot of flat punchlines in this movie Okay. I, I, you know, and I think I might have, I would have, I, there's probably some of that for sure. I also think there's some fat on the movie. Yes, definitely. You know? Yeah. That movie well, could these have. Well, these movies, these movies kind of, I mean, they. They get more and more bloated. They get more and more bloated, although Ken Kestrel Skull, I think, is shorter than Last Crusade or about the same length. Uh I think they're about the same. I mean, it's no Dial of Destiny, but yeah, few films made before twenty twenty three would be would be yeah would even dream of having that kind of running time. But there you go. So we'll be living. Sadly. That's that's those those that's how movies are made today, my friend. Yeah, that's the business we have not chosen to paraphrase <laughs> Hyman Roth. I'm so scared that you're going to be right. I'm going to rewatch Dial of it's Destiny gonna go, and listen, retract listen, my statement gonna go, immediately. It's going to go up in my estimation. It might go a little bit down in your estimation. That's my prediction. All right. I think I'm going to... Because I was really surprised about the first half of Crystal Skull. Yeah. Because, I mean, Crystal Skull, the first time <laughs> I ever saw it, like, the Paramount logo turned into... A prairie dog hole, like the, the little mound gopher hole. I understand. Yeah, I know. And it's, then a like CGI the prairie dog What's fucking your, furrows out of, of it. Shack. What's not to like? <laughs> it lost me right there. That's... I'm all right. Oh my god. And then they insist on keeping, like, keep showing us these little CGI creatures. Again, though, not 
not as egregious on the small screen as it is on the big screen. I would I would happily watch that prairie dog do the opening of Dial of Destiny rather than Harrison Ford's digital head. Digital face, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, god damn it! Yeah, that's that's right. thirty minutes of the movie because it's twenty five minutes and then they do it again. Yeah, and they're only trying to recreate what lies beneath Harrison Ford at that point. <laughs> you don't need a de ager for what lies beneath Harrison Ford. <laughs> All right, put that just for men in his hair and put him on screen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, have him grow a beard. That'll cover it up. Well, yeah, I, I, the it's interesting that the, the two the two Indiana Jones movies that were made post The Fugitive both reference The Fugitive. It's interesting, <laughs> as if that's Harrison Ford's most famous film, which I don't think it is. Do I have a problem with it? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no. Yeah. All right. If that's his legacy. So be it. Well, so far we're in lockstep. I too think the Last Crusade is good enough to be good, and it it actually even kind of moved up in okay in my personal esteem. I I really gravitated it way more than I ever have before. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm giving it short shrift by saying it's just that storyline that works. But that's uh, what I mean is that it's only it's that the best thing in it. It works consistently, yeah, and the exec- yeah the execution is erratic elsewhere, All right. noticeably compared to what happens in those scenes. Agreed. Still a good movie. All right, and then <laughs> Kingdom of Crystal Skull. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. To give it its full unwieldy title. I was gonna say I was writing down the title on my notepad. And my first thought was, fuck, these titles are getting unwieldy. I had to go to all the, the way to the end yeah. of the fucking that's page to write gets. it down. Yeah, But that's as bad as it gets, to be fair. That is They, where dial, they dial it back for Dial of Destiny. Hey, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and I spent... I, <laughs> so a, a game I like to play when I watch Crystal Skull, which I see that movie a lot. I mean, just on of that one flight. Of course you have. Of course you have. But I think of a different. I think of alternative titles, and I've got quite like you know. I was like, what got... would be wrong? Like, what would be the problem calling this Indiana Jones and the Lost City of Gold? Yeah, right. Indiana Jones and the City of Gold. Indiana Jones and the Road to El Dorado. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Saucer Men from Mars in a pinch will do. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Adventures of Mutt. Yeah. No, that's bad. I, again, the only person who benefits from that title is is, <laughs> is is and not at the time, but now Dan Aykroyd with his vodka sales. <laughs> now he's got a brand to. Of course, Dan Aykroyd is in one of these movies as well. Of course, yeah. Pretending to be Michael Palin. All right, Kingdom the <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I never thought could do this, but it actually made me think about, hey, is this movie good? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's about the best you can hope for. <laughs> yeah. And 
I I'm was. Glad you had that moment though. Yeah, I was welcome, impressed. Welcome to my world. <laughs> I was impressed it was able to do that. Yeah. And I got to tell you, an hour in, I was starting to get worried. Because <laughs> I wanted... the whole movie was going to be yeah, as good to... as that. I came in grinding yeah. my axe, and then I was like, "Do I have to put my fucking axe away? It's nice and sharp." But then but, the second of the half of the movie revealed itself, yeah. and it was... You thought about those monkeys, oh. and you're like, oh, well, that's yet to come, so... Monkeys followed by... Better. Monkeys followed by, by uh, you know, chases on cliffs and jeep crashes yeah. and ants and driving off cliffs into trees and fucking waterfall falls. And, and the, greatest crime, the greatest crime of all? Wasting John Hurt. <laughs> That's my biggest note from that movie, where in the Literally. last five minutes he actually speaks. And I thought, <laughs> you no really wasted to... the talent of an incredible actor, didn't you? Yeah, you had I, Claudius, and this uh, is what you made him do. For sake. Although, clearly, he, he managed to fit in his uh, scenes for Harry Potter while he was... Must have, you know, yeah. And they'd even just, he just came, so Steven would be like, look, I'm doing Harry Potter. Can I just come in occasionally and say some gibberish and then leave? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, it was still a bad movie. Yeah, that's where I ended up with it, I think. Um, but, and, it, you know, that the second half is so egregious. Yeah, it really And everything is. that everyone says about the movie is true, but it only applies to the second half. And, um you know, it's 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 like diminishing returns, but in real time. <laughs> so yeah, I I don't I think I I think it is it it's it's under fifty percent of a good movie, so it's not a yeah. good movie. Yeah. All right. But I I I think you know you should you should re definitely reevaluate. I will of the movie that have been traditionally derided that are actually better than you remember them. But the whole movie doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Yeah. I was, you know, it was funny because I was a little disappointed <laughs> all yeah. over again because it started, it started to make me feel hopeful. Yeah. I was like, yeah. man, this movie's way better than I remember in this first half. And then the second half was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Now I remember why you're, you're not a good movie. You're just not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, nah, I'll save it. Oh, God. <laughs> what giant bugs have you seen in these credits? That's uh, <laughs> just gonna talk about like were were these were these people with the bolos? Were they were were they ghosts? Were they just living in those oh, rocks but... waiting? Also, <laughs> also, it's very late in the movie when you learn that you learn that they're called the Uga. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue too late for it to be relevant. Uga. Yeah. All right. All right. That's. Uh, oh, I think I know. The thing where... is, though, I like them in the first half. I don't like them in the second half. It literally <laughs> applies to everything in this movie. All right. What if it turns out that like Steven Spielberg had a like a stroke on set that nobody ever knew about and that Lucas directed the second half only? <laughs> that would, make total that would sense, explain it, it all, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it seems like in the second half of this movie 
George Lucas wouldn't budge. Yeah. Do you, do you, in your behind the scenes stuff, have you, because I remember seeing something at the time with the two of them talking to a reporter. You've told me about this. I've yet to find it. Oh, fuck, it's so funny. Yeah. Where George Lucas just says, it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to hate it anyway. <laughs> I'd love to find Steven that. Steven Spielberg says, wait a second. I don't feel that way at all, just so you know. That's their relationship in a nutshell. That's so funny. Although, you know, it it it, it looks like Spielberg was dragged back kicking and screaming by both Lucas and um, Ford. Ford. For this one, but quite enjoyed it in the moment. That's okay. what he, you know, that's what he reports. And he's usually, this. he's a refreshingly uh, candid behind the scene presence especially compared to lucas uh-huh. you know we saw in those prequel making of documentaries that you know lucas gets very defensive about his choices whereas spielberg will freely admit that if he fucks know, something up oh you know just that he's just that he's he's flawed and his movies could be seen a certain way there's a great clip of him directing kate capture on temple of doom mm-hmm. and he says to her and then we do what happens in every lucas spielberg production pointless screaming and i like that self i like that self-awareness and you see that's it a nice lot. yeah uh, he's willing to sort of poke fun at himself in a way that lucas is very much not <laughs> i do think you know well we'll talk about it later but the pointless screaming fits the serial idea though yeah but i like that i like that he attributes but i like that he the kind of movies that he and yeah. George lucas make and that's right. a self-awareness that lucas doesn't have about his own work sure all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> take a wild stab. Don't put any money on it. And I'm going to say that you think Dial of Destiny is a bad movie. Mike is one of the worst movie experiences of recent memory for me. Man. Yeah. All right. I found I found very little to enjoy about it. I definitely don't think, even with my objective brain, that it constitutes a good. Constitutes a good movie. Uh, it's not a good movie. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. Well, I don't have, you know. I it's funny to... that I was, I'm, you know, I started to waffle in my own head again because I think I did this recently. I can't remember on what series where I, hmm. I had ranked something higher. Oh, I think it was the Star Wars. I think it was the prequels. I Something hmm. I was going to rank higher, but... Would never considered it a good movie, and the movie I was putting below it, I had considered being a good movie, and I considered yeah. at least that when I was watching the first half of Crystal Skull, I was like, "Is this yeah. a fucking good movie?" You know, and what? again, this this goes back to I think one of the key reasons is that you know this this should be a Lucas Lucas and Spielberg should be involved somewhere for it to be an Indiana Jones movie. Once you take that out of the equation, there's a kind of surfeit of imagination that comes with that. Mm. And it's like, you're never going to get better than the most basic TV movie. You know? And not even the good ones, like the the Rock... Not even the good ones like the David Chase-written Rockford TV movie reunions, (laughs) which... That's that's what this is. Like, dressing it up as an Indian... Like a, a, a theatrical Indiana Jones movie... Well, financially, it was a big mistake, but I think artistically mm-hmm. too, this should have been a, like a made-for-TV reunion special. Man, you don't like it. I would have liked that if this was like a, I don't know, like a kind of 
old Indiana Jones kind of like <laughs> counterpoint to young Indiana Jones. That would have been great. I would have liked. I would have liked that. The moments of the movie I like, and the moments of the movie where like I feel I feel like they they're thinking about young Indiana Jones and that projection yeah. of old Indy. Mm-hmm. Like I actually like that was the bit I was I was I was worried most about that they were going <laughs> to lean into, and when they lent into it, I started to enjoy the movie. All right. I, re- I just remember thinking it was funny because I remember when I first watched it, I was like, well, who the fuck is Antonio Banderas? It's like we've known this guy the whole time. We've never met him. And then he dies 15 minutes later. He's Mac Mark 2. Yeah. And as I start watching or the Mac other, two. as I start watching the other movies, I thought, oh, boy, they did that a lot, didn't they? <laughs> they didn't solve the Mac problem. They no. just split him up into different people. Yeah. That's not solving the problem. Well. That's just making more Macs. Too good, too bad. Yep. Well, there we go. We're in agreement. Yeah. But one is, for one of the movies, we disagree with quite how bad it is. Yeah. I, I, I might change my mind. We don't know. Well, about how quite how bad it is? Yeah. It's, you seem certain that it's going to go down in your estimation. I'm worried. Because it, it can only go up in my estimation. <laughs> I uh, mean... <clears throat> You, I mean, you, my you estimation know. is in that swirling pit of lava from Temple of Doom, right? Sure, now, yeah. For Dial of Destiny, um, but so I can, I, I you might like it more. You're, you, you, you don't seem to be able to compartmentalize that particular movie like you were talking about. You do with the other movies, you know. I did. I, I compartmentalize, and, and all those compartments. Yeah, but you're also <laughs> chucking them to, out. <laughs> well, that's it. But that's that's the problem. I those compartments. I've, I've I've identified those compartments and then I've thrown them all <laughs> Can't away. Can't you compartmentalize without and throwing them away? And I've left with about half an hour of a, of a fugitive ripoff. Listen, you and I completely agree about the de-aging nonsense. Now the question I can't believe they got away with. Like I can't I know. believe people didn't walk out of the movie theater, or maybe they did. But. The problem was people didn't go into the movie theater. Not I guess this, I, maybe this is just I like. I mean, we all know that I I have maybe one of the most generous film goers there are. You are, yeah, and and that's so. Is it just that nature? I I'm surprised you just chuck it out. Like I I disagree with the decision. I think it's stupid. The de aging thing, get rid of it. But there it but is on screen. Everything. There it is on screen. So. What do I think about this but the this scene like the, yeah. despite that? No. no and then you, a, can't, you cannot take the Polar Express out of a fucking live action movie. And there's, I, then, there's nothing left. I compartmentalized the face. Oh, come on. I did. Now, what I, I mean, was left with was still not good. So, but, but I don't chuck not, the whole scene out. You just, you just want... He's just watching a pix like a pixel. I know. That can't look at you in the eye. Quite Com- literally can't look at you in the eye. Here's what I told other people. I said I think it looked better than it had ever been done before and still looks terrible. It still looks terrible. I mean, yeah. you know, we've not we've not actually come that far since Polar Express. Right. In terms of representation, we might kid ourselves that We've got slicker with it, which we have, but we've not solved any of the problems. Which is, it doesn't look like a person. How much did it bother you for Irishman? Oh, I, 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 
I hate The Irishman, but I think it's a bad movie anyway. Okay. I'm trying to remember the faces. I can't remember any of the de-aged faces right now for that movie. It's not a ringing well, em- endorsement okay, so for the for movie. Okay, so but... imagine a cat. <laughs> That's it. You, don't need to, you only need Done? to imagine a cat. It was just a fucking cat in overalls. Does it have nipples? <laughs> butthole. <laughs> the butthole cut of the Irishman. <laughs> no, I mean... It's it you know we've we've talked about this before like what and and it's even examples of it in the series of what you gain when you cast a young actor, yeah yeah in the role rather than de-aging them. I yeah, mean you know totally. you wouldn't want to have Last Crusade without without River Phoenix and that's essentially what they're telling you with Dial of Destiny that the industry needs to do, mm-hmm. and it's bullshit. It's yeah, absolute it's nonsense. Bullshit. It's nonsense. Yeah. All right, well that's it. We agree with the top. We we disagree on the bottom ranking, but we're both saying too good and too bad. Yeah, we're close. And we've still got and we might dial of destiny. We might again. get closer, or we might get further apart. We might, yeah. Or we might get closer, but by us both liking the movie more than we did when we first saw it. <laughs> right. All right. Those are the three possibilities. <laughs> Anything left? No. Let's call it a day. This is a long one. Yeah. This has been, a, I mean, predictably so. It's Indiana Jones, but. Yeah. Doesn't get any bigger. Well, ladies and gentlemen, when you hear us next time, we'll be talking about our favorite. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I'm very excited. Very excited. Yes. I can't wait to. I can't wait to break it down scene by scene. Yeah, me too. Because well, you're... there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, there really is. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you'll have to tell us what you think. What is your ranking? Send us a message, would you? I want to know rankings. Nobody ever tells us their rankings, Tom. Are these movies good or are they bad? Uh, send an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and nothing else. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. What sort of a man hides in a hedge while his friend is facing death? (laughs) This is going to be a struggle because right now my two highlights from Dial of Destiny, that line and Toby Jones' hair. (laughs) Toby Jones, another lifelong friend that we never knew of. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what? what's interesting is um, uh, Toby Jones stars in a British TV series called Detectorists, hmm. which is a, is a comedy drama about uh, like hobbyists who use metal detectors to find uh, treasure. Uh-huh. And after he'd, they did a special episode after he'd rapped on Indiana, after Toby Jones had rapped on Indiana Jones. And as the episode goes on, you realize that it's a, it's about the Holy Grail. <laughs> that they found the Holy Grail. But it creeps up on you so brilliantly because they think they found this innocuous cup and then one of their um, friends starts drinking his tea out of it and then he comes into the like the meeting room the next day and he looks He's like, like 10 a years baby. younger. <laughs> yeah. And as it goes, it's like, oh my God, it's the Holy Grail. That's good. All right. Well, until next time, everyone. Until then. 
I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer.